Welcome to Choosing Leadership, a podcast for high performers with big dreams and for leaders who know that they are more powerful than the level that they are currently playing. I am Sumit Gupta, your host and the founder CEO of the Deploy Yourself School of Leadership. I am here to help the best leaders get better and to help organizations massively improve their output and impact and at the same time eradicating workplace stress. Yes. completely eradicating not just reducing completely eradicating i believe in creating a future and a work culture where people wait for mondays not fridays and get to do their most meaningful work the aim of this podcast is not to provide you more content but instead shift the context under which you operate this podcast is titled choosing leadership because that is what leadership is a choice In each episode I will celebrate leaders who have made such choices which are not always easy and comfortable but which has helped them get to where they are today. And let us celebrate the leader in us for choosing to move over our fears, for choosing to be motivated by something bigger than ourselves and for choosing to deal with every challenge that comes on the way. Let us celebrate you right now for stepping into the unknown and taking courageous action as those were the moments when you chose leadership at the end i will share how you can be our next guest on this podcast and with that let's get started sud is the ceo at impress.ai based in singapore in the interview sud shares how growing up in a small town in india in a family of entrepreneurs inspired him to start his own company We also talk about moving to a big city like Singapore and yet not being intimidated by that. He shares the big risk he has taken as an entrepreneur and how he was rejected by some companies for a job which turned out to be a blessing as those companies are his customers now and he is very proud of the fact. Hi Sud, welcome to the Choosing Leadership podcast. Thank you so much Sumit, happy to be here. It's a uh, wonderful to have you here. And for our listeners, can you start by sharing a little bit about yourself and what do you do today? Yeah, definitely. So I'm the CEO and co-founder of this company called Impress AI. Impress AI is a SaaS platform for enterprises, large enterprises with you know usually thousand to thousand plus employees to hire at scale. So we automate the administrative and repetitive parts of the recruiting process, and we make sure that the candidate experience is very good. and also we increase the accuracy of the hiring process by 2x these are some of the things where we able to deliver by automating parts of the process and you making it more skill based yeah and before we get into that right can you share a little bit more of your background and how did you get to where you are today yeah it's a, probably and it's an interesting story to me but it's it's probably a little bit funny to other people but i grew up around entrepreneurs so i grew up in india in uh, in a place called faridabad Uh, and i grew up around a lot of entrepreneurs because that town has a lot of factories and you know everybody had to kind of fend for themselves and start companies because there weren't a lot of other companies to employ them so it was generally a very entrepreneurial kind of mindset that i started to develop even as a child and my grandfather became an entrepreneur at 60 years old and he did that for 3 to 4 years very successfully before he had to uh, give it up for some other reasons health reasons but all of these things really inspired me and it showed me that 
entrepreneurship can be a way for a lot of goals to achieve a lot of different kinds of goals. And some of the key ones for me are around, it leaves a mark on the world. It allows you to leave a potentially a lasting mark on the world. It makes you feel bigger than you are in terms of your impact. So that's what always fascinated me. So, uh, you know, when I went to study at university in Singapore, um, I gave up IIT Delhi for that because a few reasons that I had at that time. Uh, so I moved to Singapore, I worked for a few years and saved up money to start my own business. At that time, my business was in the area of innovation tournaments. So my company ran online innovation tournaments. We had a platform for that. And we started to get these large enterprise customers who wanted to hire people who were winning these innovation tournaments. So that gave us the idea. So we ran that business for about three years, had that learning. And uh, we started our second business on the back of that learning, which is the current company I run, which is Impress AI. So Impress AI essentially was born out of us learning how um, broken a lot of the recruiting processes are in large companies. We started the business with the goal of making accurate hiring easier for both companies and for candidates. So that's where we are. You know, the company was inspired by the previous business and uh, now this has scaled really well in Singapore and we're growing in multiple large markets, including US, India, and Southeast Asia. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that uh, story, right? And also I loved how you shared the example of your grandfather starting uh, something at 60 because it breaks a lot of stereotypes and entrepreneurship anyways is kind of going against the grain and dealing with a lot of those stereotypes or biases which we have in the society, right? So can you share a little bit more about like how has growing up in a family like that, in an environment like that, has shaped your views uh, and how does it play a role in your current life, right? Because entrepreneurship is dealing with challenges, dealing with ups and downs. And does that background gives an added advantage or does it does it create something else? Yeah, I think a lot of it was inspiring. So within my family, I saw multiple people, uh, multiple relatives start businesses when you know, life wasn't necessarily going very well. They had gone through certain crisis and they were forced to start something different for my grandfather started it out of you know, being bored. He was retired and it was like, I know how to do this and I see opportunity, so I'm going to do this. Uh, so th they had different reasons, but in a lot of cases I saw uh, my friends' families had started some businesses really small and then they went on to become listed companies in India. Um, so a lot of it has to do with inspiration, but I think what, what you, what someone like me might forget, if especially as a, younger person 10 years ago when I first became an entrepreneur, you remember selectively. I think selective memory plays a big role. You see the good examples, you see the happy examples, but you don't really see the failure, which is strewn everywhere, right? So there's a lot of failure. There's a lot of hardship, relationships broken, opportunity cost, all those negatives that you don't really experience. I think as an entrepreneur over the past 10 years, given this is my second business, I've seen a lot of those hardships, but the inspiration, the memory of that inspiration that I carried from those childhood experiences, that's what keeps me going. And I keep, you know, it, it's important to have uh, people to look at to. It's important to have positive examples to be able to build something worthwhile. So that's what keeps me going. 
But of course, uh, lots of things I'd do differently if I were restarting. Yeah, yeah. And coming to that, right, 10 years as an entrepreneur, how has that uh, changed your views? As you said, right, there is an inspiration there. You want to leave a mark. You want to do something better. But at the same time, there is a cost to it, right? Because sometimes you're so busy. Sometimes your mind space is so occupied. So how have you personally evolved as an entrepreneur? And uh, how are you doing or dealing with things in terms of relationships, in terms of emotions, personal health and everything? than what you have learned maybe along the journey? Yeah, I think that's a very loaded question. So there's a lot to unpack there. Um, so I think when I started, it, it seemed like, you know, the risk is low. The barrier for me to start is low. No kids, not married, uh, not a lot to worry about in terms of sustainability. I always thought if I run out of money, I'll just go back to my parents and I'll be okay. So the worst case scenario was acceptable to me. And it seemed a little bit like a sport that, you know, the, the biggest thing that I'm, uh, that I'm playing with here is my career. And somehow that was acceptable to me at that point. But I think that the game kept going on for very long. And sometimes you imagine that you're going to get these exponential results but they don't happen and then you start to question okay this game is one going on for too long two i'm not getting the returns that justified taking this kind of risk with my career and three i'm not really able to enjoy life as people with more you know a, a different risk reward ratio are living so you imagine these rewards but statistically speaking they're so rare that if they don't happen to you, then you start thinking, okay, maybe another route might have been. Um, so I guess it's a little bit of a biased remorse that after a few years you start getting. So after my first business, I did consider changing my route and thought maybe I should just find a job now. Yeah, given So my first business grew. We had a half a million dollars annual revenue. Not so bad. It was almost profitable uh, if we did certain things. And yeah, it wasn't so bad, but it just wasn't worth it. The return on investment and the opportunity cost, all of that wasn't worth it. So my co-founders and I said, you know, there are all of these different routes we can take. We can start a different business, uh, given our capabilities, given what we've learned. So we had some ideas and we said, we're going to, you know, if none of, if one of those ideas that we pick doesn't work out, then we are all going to go find jobs. Luckily speaking, one of those ideas that we chose to work on was Impress AI. It worked really well and it grew exponentially, uh, especially before the pandemic. During the pandemic, the story is different for everyone, I think. Um, so it, it ended up doing really well at a point that we thought we're kind of exhausted. So I think a lot of the energy you need um, comes from momentum, comes from success, comes from growth. And that's very important. When that stops happening, then it becomes a drag. Like, why are you giving up all of these relationships when it doesn't make sense? So I think it's over time, how I've changed is uh, for a lot of years, I thought almost everything goes, you know, full commitment, doesn't matter what I have to give up. Um, success at any cost. But over time, I think um, the time doesn't come back, right? You start to get this realization when you get older that your younger years are not going to come back. 
and the equation starts to change. So you need a certain level of success, certain level of return from whatever you're doing to justify uh, what you're giving up because the cost of what you're giving up continues to grow. Your parents are getting older. Uh, you are to get to the further next step in life. You need to buy a house, but you can't afford to buy a house. All those things start to become real. So that's where I think a lot of my thinking has changed. Now I have a more balanced equation. I would say it's a the weightage in my equation of what I'm looking in terms of return. The weightages have changed from overweighing success to a more distributed weightage across family, relationships, friends, personal satisfaction, self-actualization, professional success at business. So yeah, I think the weightages continue to evolve as I grow older. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing such a reflective answer, right? And again, I started my first business as 24. So I can understand that rush of energy, but also that immaturity, if I were to speak, right, to see that what, even if I'm risking something big, there is not a lot at stake and I can always come back. Uh, and then obviously, once you are married, once you have responsibilities, then you suddenly start to see things differently. But for at least for me, it kind of works out better in the business because then you start uh, seeing yourself as an adult, you start treating others as an adult rather than just trying to please people or just trying to go after sales or revenue. And then you start to build relationships, you start to focus on the long term, even if it means sacrificing, like uh, spending 12 hours at work in the short term. So thank you for adding that part. I think that's very reflective and also very true. Of course. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yes. You talked about uh, COVID, right? Can you share a little bit about uh, how did COVID impact your business and what maybe one or two choices that you had to make which have shaped your business up to now? Yeah, I mean, of course, COVID was hard for everyone in different ways. For our business, it was, uh, it was shocking in the sense that 2019 was the best year ever. We grew 4x and then 2020, this happens. And suddenly, you know, everything starts to slow down. All the deals in the pipeline start to fall apart one by one. And there's nothing you can do. So the choices we had to make when that was, uh, we could see some something big coming. So in Singapore, we went into lockdown in March or April uh, of 2020. And before that, we had started to see what things were unfolding. We were still very aggressive in the market. We were looking to expand into new markets, uh, given it was a, a relatively small market. So we were always building partnerships in other uh, other countries and so on. So we, I was traveling a lot, but we could see the writing on the wall and fundraising was suddenly becoming harder because the sentiment, and, uh, the, there is a mini recession that happened at that time, hindsight. Uh, so the choice we had to make was, do we continue to work on that expansion, which is very expensive? highly loss-making in the beginning when you're building the foundation or we make the business sustainable uh, at that time. So we, we chose the latter because one of the biggest responsibilities see we in, in our business is to our customers. Um, we have very large companies as customers. These are banks, these are government, these, these are large global organizations. And we just, on a even at the founded level, we thought of a scenario where due to our um, rashness or due to our vision, we, we become unsustainable as a company. 
that would be really embarrassing for our customers. It would be embarrassing for us. And we just didn't want to be an unreliable partner to our customers. We thought that was the most important thing. So we the choice we made was uh, we slowed down our expansion, slowed down growth, and we became break-even uh, on a financial basis, which meant that we could go on for as long as we needed to. Uh, we uh, The second thing we did is we put focus from new customers, new sales to existing customers. And all of this meant that we were able to retain 100% of our customers. We weren't able to add uh, the targeted number of new customers, but we retained 100% of the business uh, and business was, it, it became really sustainable. We had nothing to worry about in terms of keeping our employees well rewarded. So we didn't have to do mass layoffs uh, to achieve that. We didn't have to cut bonuses or salaries. Uh, all of that was carried on. So yeah, that was really the choice. But the impact of that choice during those two years is that we survived, but we weren't in a really good shape to cash in on the funding craze that happened soon after. So a year later, uh, 2021, you could see companies raising at 50x multiples, 100x multiples. We just weren't in the shape to do that um, because you needed a different kind of aggression and we had already decided to be slower and more sustainable. Uh, and it also had an impact on our growth level this year. You know, so 2022 coming out of the COVID period, we grew really fast. I mean, we doubled our top line. So we were ready to take more growth. But it still has the two years during COVID still have an impact because we couldn't grow a lot during that time. So it's like, can the growth in 2022 make up for the years we lost? Uh, it might take a while. So yeah, it's a hard choice. I think with the consequences of which we're dealing with even right now, but I think we made the right choice uh, because our customers trust us and they gave us more business as a result of that. Uh, we are closing, our deals are now on average 2x or 3x of what we used to close in terms of size. Our contracts are three to five years long versus annual before. Just that so much trust has okay. come from customers. But this company is matured. It's not a startup that was born yesterday and is going to just burn so much cash and then potentially run out of it. So I guess a bunch of trade-offs there, yeah. Yeah, thank you for adding that, right? Uh, I also love the part where like focus on acquiring new customers versus serving the current customers, because that's again uh, a long-term strategy that will get you referrals, that will give you repeat business. And as you were hearing, like more business over the long term, maybe at the cost of uh, some growth in the short term. How has that impacted the culture of the organization? How has that impacted, like how the employees look look at the organization? Because we also see stories of so many organizations growing very fast but leaving uh, very bitter cultures or very like uh, weird environments to work. So I'm very curious to listen how that has impacted your employees, your culture. Yeah, I think um, speed is relative in startups. We did actually grow our workforce quite a bit in 2021. So we raised a round of capital and um, we grew our workforce quite fast, which allowed us to get uh, get into growth more than 2022. So we still had relatively aggressive growth, I would say. Uh, but 
Yeah, that that came with its own strength. I was looking at Slack channels and I was looking at how we used to run the company when we were 30 people versus now we're nine. It's very different. And sometimes I don't even realize the struggles that um, some of the teams that I don't work with directly are having because of certain big customers that we add. So on the one hand, a bigger size, ability to do more, a bigger product, our portfolio has given us the ability to add bigger contracts. But when big contracts come, the kind of strain it puts on our people, the teams who are implementing things, implementing the platform for these large customers, it's insane. I mean, people end up having to work really hard and uh, sometimes that produces a negative environment, especially being hard due to remote working. Our culture very strong when people work from the office. So we have multiple offices. Uh, one is in Singapore. A big one is in Singapore and another big one is in India, in Kochi. Um, and in Kochi, we had this amazing culture. People used to get together every, almost every day at 4 p.m. They'd have tea. And uh, in Singapore or even Western countries, we'd think that's so much productivity lost, right? But what we found that that created such a strong bond between people which helped them work together really well. And information flowed smoothly. You didn't have politics. It was flat. Everybody felt like they had, uh, that they have the same information. It, it was nice. But when COVID happened, people were away from each other. No tea is happening. They have suddenly moved away from the city to you know, things that happen in the US, things that happen in Europe. You move out of the city because you don't need to go to the office. And... I think to some extent, things became transactional between employees, between teams. And that feeling of family started to go away, workload increased because the new customers were added. So we had to take a look at that and invest a lot more in uh, culture building. I think it sounds a little bit fluffy, but um, I think it's very important. We uh, So we invested a lot of time and effort with our HR team. And we encouraged them to organize uh, games, organize things which help them learn about each other, about the leadership. We started doing much, uh, a much more comprehensive set of all hands meetings so that everybody could learn from where, you know, where the mind of the management team is. Uh, and just over communicating and transparency on Slack. Uh, we don't use email at all in the company internally only use Slack. So internally, if somebody sends me an email, the first thing that I would think is it's spam or it's trying to fish. So that's the culture we have. It's good in many ways, but once uh, you have to keep a watch because all the time there are things that there are these islands of information developing, which creates politics. So you have to keep breaking those barriers, keep keep reminding what the common mission is, what the common values are. So we're always learning. Uh, I think my answer has become very long. There's really no conclusion to it. I think it's a matter of just keeping, trying to keep on top of it and just talking to everyone you can in the organization and uh, working it as you go. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I think I, I love the example you shared for from your team in Kochi. And uh, yeah, I think you used the word fluffy. Um, but like a lot of my work, in fact, most of my work falls into that fluffy domain. And especially a lot of team is, teams are facing this challenge of like suddenly their culture is evaporating because now people who used to sit together, laugh together, cry together, and it's becoming very professional or very transactional. 
and video call is one thing but then people share screens so you even put another layer uh, and you hide behind a presentation and as you said right if you are doing video it takes away almost 50% of human inter interaction even with video calls so a lot of these elements uh, like the foundational elements still remain the same of human behavior human communication but more transparency more communication and maybe more formal uh, methods of communicating but creating that same energy that to like having tea together and creating that same kind of energy is actually what leads to productivity actually what leads to uh, avoiding conflicts or avoiding misunderstandings and building that energy where like ev almost everybody is driving the company rather than just you as the CEO is driving the company so that's very relevant and as you said right there is no final destination this is continuous process of learning observing trying something new uh, and then adapting on that so thank you thank you for that answer yeah can you zoom out now a little bit on the next few years like next three to five years given uh, the last few years what is your vision for the next uh, three to five years yeah so this, i mean there's a lot to do so our mission as a company is to make accurate hiring easier um, it's a variation of the very original mission that we mission statement we put making hiring fairer so that was the first mission statement we came up with we thought that is slightly harder to measure so we we came up with uh, making accurate hiring easier so it's a big mission uh, we believe so my personal goal as an entrepreneur is to you know, remove barriers to upward social mobility, essentially. So if people want to achieve something, they should be able to achieve it through meritocracy, uh, network, relationships, those kind of things. Ideally, shouldn't stand in the way. They always give you advantage. And as they should, they're something to aspire to, but they shouldn't stand in the way. But um, you cannot have that in a world where you don't have objective ways of awarding opportunity. Right. So having a fair or equitable way to uh, get access to opportunity is the basis of removing barriers to social mobility. So that's where our business starts from. And we think there's a ton of work to do there. If we look at the markets we look at, include US, Europe, um, Southeast Asia and India. These are the markets we're doing business in right now. And there are a billion employed people in organized industries in these markets. And every year, at least 10% of the people uh, in these industries stay in jobs, probably a lot more during the pandemic. Now, our goal is to make sure that all of those people who are changing jobs or who are looking to change jobs, which uh, in, in our estimate is about 100 million every year, are able to access the opportunity they want fairly. So that's the mission that drives us. Uh, we are about at a hundredth of that at this point. So we need to go 100x in the next three to five years. Uh, and yeah, we're, I think we're well on our way to achieve at least a subset of that, but we're going to have to do some daring things to achieve the whole of that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, and I wish you all the best for the daring adventures that lie ahead. What do you see are either maybe yours or your organization's biggest challenge as you scale, right? Because that's again going on a massive growth splurge. What do you think would be the biggest challenges either for you personally or for your organization? Yeah, definitely. So I think for, uh, let's start with the personal one. So personally, you have to continue to grow as a leader. Um, everybody has certain strengths. My strengths are in zero to one. And then beyond one, I had to build a lot of new skills. And uh, for example, I had to learn a lot about managing people. It doesn't come naturally to me. 
Uh, so I start from first principles, I read books and do the best I can, but it's not natural to me. There are other people in the company who do that better than me. So I think uh, on a personal level, the challenges are how do you grow into what is needed to take the company to the next stage? And for some people, that's a long, that's a broader range than for other people. So that's continuously a challenge. How do you broaden your range? Can I take this company to the next 10x, the 10x after that? Or I'll take it to the next 10x and then somebody else can do a better job at the next stage. So that's always a question that I think every couple of years uh, I have to ask and my co-founders have to ask themselves as well. Uh, but so far, so good. I think we've been able to learn pretty fast and evolve mm -hmm. uh, to what we need to do. But let's see how things continue to go. For the company to grow to, to its potential, I think the biggest challenges are uh, right now market-based. I mean, it's a game of being resilient right now, especially because I think most of us, most of the younger entrepreneurs haven't seen too many recessions. I think so I graduated during the Great Recession. So this is my first one, first proper one to see while being out in the market. While a lot of the reading I do and reading, I love reading about history of all sorts, polit political history or um, kingdoms or especially economies. So I do know that I am one of the more naive ones, right? There are more experienced entrepreneurs who've seen multiple recessions and they know something about resiliency. Uh, and I think the big game right now is about resilience and having resilient growth. Uh, and the market forces are a little bit against that for maybe the first, maybe the next one to two years. Uh, so we just, I think that's something that we have to beat. There are always opportunities. There are always small pivots, big pivots that, that you can make. And uh, we hope to make the right choices. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I think on the personal front, every entrepreneur has to go through the journey of unlearning and learning new skills and seeing themselves evolve as a human being multiple times. Uh, and then I think on the organizational front, what you mentioned, right, the naivety, sometimes that can actually be an advantage because knowing a lot can actually overwhelm you sometimes and put you in a negative mood. Uh, and that can avoid you like seeing an opportunity. And like if you read history, you know that Probably recessions have been the birthplaces of many big and innovative companies as well. Uh, so sometimes that can actually work in your advantage as long as you best manage your risk. You make sure that like that is managed and then you still can be optimistic. Uh, it's not just about the, what I have actually seen is not just about the business, but sometimes also about the energy that you have and then your team has. Uh, sometimes if you just allow yourself to ignore the negativity, uh, which is too common in a recession, you can actually empower your team and build that resilience, not by like uh, trying to getting back up after falling down, but by actually not falling down at all. So thank you for uh, adding that here. Yeah. Absolutely. I think you reminded me of uh, this quote I heard on this podcast All In, which said that, I think the podcast was quoting someone else, Wealth is created during bear markets and harvested during bull markets. So I think I'm a big believer in that. And it's the, it's the best time to be working on what I'm working on with, with my team. And bull market will be back. And I think bull markets luckily are a lot longer than bear markets. So mm -hmm. uh, we just have to be ready for that. Absolutely. And just to wrap this up, right, can you share something maybe personal about yourself, which most people whom you work with do not know about you? Ah, I, I'm very transparent with my team, but 
um, what do most people not know about me? I think a lot of people probably uh, actually don't know that I come from this small city called Faridabad. Usually I say I come from Delhi because that's what most people will recognize. But I think having grown up in a small city has a lot to do with the, with my humility. So I'm really thankful for that. Having grown up without exposure to a lot of things. I'm, a, I'm at a lot of points in my life for the past 15 years since I moved to a huge city like Singapore from a tiny city like Faridabad and a lot of small places I grew up in. I'm always full of wonder because everything seems new and that makes me very optimistic and I think a lot of people see me as a um, as an optimistic person as a humble person and that's where it comes from so I think that's probably something that's not known to a lot of people thank you thank you for sharing that right I, I grew up in like proper Delhi so which is a bigger city uh, but I know Faridabad very well so I can understand that childlike wonder when you see something or like when you see big buildings or big organized structures for the first time. And I think that's a wonderful attitude to take to leadership as well, because the same newness can sometimes uh, overwhelm you, put you into anxiety. But if you can bring that childlike wonder, uh, you can actually like not just help yourself make better choices, but also help others, as you mentioned, others around you to create that uh, mood or culture of optimism of like enjoying the journey rather than trying to win every step of it. Um, I love that perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. So before we wrap up, right, if anybody who is listening who wants to reach out or find out more about what you are up to, what is the best way for them to do so? Yeah. Uh, so I am very active on LinkedIn. And if you if you Google Impress AI, I think you'd be able to find me and uh, just check out what we do at Impress AI. It's actually really cool. Uh, one of my biggest achievements that I think is thanks to my company is I applied to a lot of jobs when I graduated from university and most of them I did not get, like a lot of other people, a lot of people have had that experience. All the companies that I applied to a job for um, are now our customers. All of them, absolutely all of them. So that's been one of the things that makes me feel like a winner. <laughs> and I think uh, people want to find out how we did that. It's really due to the product we've built and let's check it out, uh, Impress.ai. Thank you. Thank you so for sharing that. I will make sure to include those links uh, on the show notes. And what a wonderful example, right, to to end this, that uh, the companies where you were rejected and normally people would see that as failure or setback and you see that as a moment of pride because now you have built something and you have them as your clients, right? What a wonderful Summary of an entrepreneur's journey. I think I'm feeling goosebumps on listening to that. And I'm sure anybody who's listening will take tremendous value. Uh, and I want to wish you all the best for everything that lies ahead for you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sivet. Happy to be here. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast. And I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride and satisfaction, not just for yourself, but for everybody around you. If you got something out of this episode, would you share this episode on social media? And if you know somebody who would be a great guest, can you tag them on social media to let them know about the show? And if you are a leader who wants to acknowledge how far you have come, 
and have big dreams for the future, please reach out to me to be a guest on this podcast. And I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. This is what I do most naturally, to lovingly and gently provoke you, to help you see your own light, to help you see what you are already capable of. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and it means a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to deployyourself.com and subscribe to my newsletter or follow me on LinkedIn. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality and I want to thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved and you matter. This is Sumit. Until next time, keep choosing leadership.